if you haven't already, if you can turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. If you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through the book of Hebrews together. And last Lord's Day, uh, we walked through the first part of Hebrews chapter 4, where we see uh, a strong encouragement from the writer of Hebrews uh, related to entering into God's rest. Uh, there's been this picture throughout the book of Hebrews so far of the Hebrews during the Exodus and this opportunity they had to come into the promised land and yet many of them did not enter into the promised land. A generation died in the wilderness because of their disobedience and because of their unbelief. And so the writer of Hebrews has, has framed his argument within this example from the Old Testament and instructing us today how we are to trust in God, how we're not to do what the Hebrews in the wilderness did. And, and as we trust in Him, how we're to strive to enter His rest. In fact, that's where we left off last Lord's Day in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, that we are to strive to enter into this rest that God offers. Now the question is, how do we do that? And well, that's what we're going to look at today as the writer continues now by instructing us to strive to enter God's rest through God's Word. And so we're going to look at these two verses, verses 12 and 13, and out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you will go ahead and stand as I read the text for us today. And this is what the Holy Word of God says to us. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account you would pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you expose, you bring to light through the power of your word. There is no thought, there is no intention, there is no secret in this room that will not one day be exposed by the light of the gospel. Our prayer is that it would be exposed now. Lord, that we would respond in faith and repentance to your word, that we would not be like those who've gone before us who have hardened their hearts towards you. So, Lord, soften our hearts now as we consider your word and what it says to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I know from walking along with many of you that a lot of you in this room have I've had a, a surgical procedure. You, you, at some point in your life, have gone either for yourself or our family member to have some type of procedure. We've done that many times uh, for our family. And, and for those of you who've walked through that process, you know what it's like. They, they tell you to be at the hospital at a certain time, that your procedure will be at a certain time. But, but sometimes those are rather ambiguous times because uh, you can spend a lot of time waiting. And in fact, when you go into that pre-op area... Uh, you're going to probably be there for a while, and sometimes they may say, well, you'll be here for 30 minutes, an hour. It may stretch on into hours, but, but usually things get rolling about the time that the doctor comes in. Uh, when the doctor comes in, when the surgeon comes in, that, that's a pretty good indication uh, that you're going to be heading off into 
a procedure pretty soon. And, and when that doctor comes in, that surgeon comes in, uh, usually in their time with you, they'll, they'll ask you a question. They'll say something along the lines of, uh, do you have any final questions before we have this procedure today? Hey, it's one opportunity you have to make sure you put your mind at ease, your mind at rest. You can ask anything really you want in that moment. And so I've sat there through those conversations. I've heard many people ask questions. I've asked a lot of questions at those times about the procedure, about what's going to happen, about recovery. But I've never heard anyone say anything remotely close to this. Imagine you were in that situation and the doctor said, do you have any questions? And you turned to him and said, well, yeah, I have one request actually. Uh, you see, I brought my own surgical instruments with me today, and I was wondering if you would use these. I found a really good deal on eBay, and so I went ahead and bought them, and I brought them with me, and, you know, I hosed them off in the backyard. So I just wanted to see, when you go in to do this surgery on me today, do you mind to use the instruments I've brought with me? And no one's ever asked that question. I doubt anyone will ever ask that question. Why? Because when we go into a procedure, when we go into a surgery, an operation, we're trusting that this doctor is going to use the most precise, exact instrument available. That they have the tool, they have the resource, they, they have what's going to be needed to do this procedure with excellence and with precision. We trust the tool, the instrument that they're going to use, that it's going to be the right one. As we come to Hebrews chapter 4, in this passage in verses 12 and 13, we are reminded that God has not only instructed us to enter His rest, He has provided us the very tool that is required for us to enter His rest. He has provided us the exact, precise instrument that needs to be used to bring us into His rest, into the promised land, into salvation. And that instrument, that tool, is the Word of God. It is exact, and it is precise, and it is excellent. And it is what God has graciously given to us to use in this process of bringing us out of darkness into the light, of bringing us out of lostness into salvation. It is through this instrument that we ultimately find our rest in God through Christ Jesus. And so today I want us to consider the significance of this tool that God has offered us, beginning with the first point there in your outline. This reminder that, point one, we enter God's rest through hearing, believing, trusting, and obeying His Word. We enter into this, this rest that God offers. He, he says, strive to enter my rest. How do we come into it? We come through hearing, believing, trusting, and obeying His Word. And, and this is the argument. This is the case that He's been laying out from the beginning of Hebrews. So consider Hebrews chapter 1, what we saw there. We saw that God has spoken. He has spoken through the prophets, and in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God to us. In chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear, God has spoken. And that's why he can then say in chapter 2, Therefore, listen, consider Him, look to Jesus. 
Hebrews 2 verse 1, Therefore we must pay closer, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. There's the tendency in the human heart to, to drift away from things, especially things that perhaps we've already heard and we think we know. You've probably been in those conversations before where someone repeats themselves and continues to repeat themselves. And what is our tendency at those times? It's just kind of drift off and phase out. Why? We think we've already heard it. We have this experience on Sunday mornings at times. And we feel like, well, I've heard that preacher before and I've heard what they had to say. And especially after a preacher's been here for a few years, well, I've heard all those stories. And so we contend just to drift off. And the writer of Hebrews says to us, pay attention. Be careful. Listen. And he goes on in chapter, or, or chapters 3 and 4 to tell us about this heavenly calling that God has given us. And again, the command is that God's word has come. And so what do we need to do? We need to listen. And he calls our attention to the Hebrews during the Exodus and how they heard, but they did not believe. He reminds us through David in Psalm 95 of that repeated instruction that he gives us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so we see that it all starts, it all begins with hearing God's Word, with listening to God's Word, but it continues with believing that Word. It's not enough just to hear it, we need to believe it. And that was the problem with the Hebrews during the Exodus. They heard the Word of God. They stood at the foot of the mountain as the presence of God descended on it, and as there was thunder and lightning and it shook, they heard the Word of God. And yet they did not believe. The writer reminds us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. God takes them to the boundary of the land of promise and He's ready to carry them into the land of Canaan. And yet they are fearful and they are afraid and they do not believe and they do not obey. And a generation dies in the wilderness as a response because they heard but they did not believe. Hebrews 4, verse 2, the writer reminds us the message that they heard, it, it did not benefit them. Why? But Because they did not believe it. And so we talked last Lord's Day about this, about how it's not enough just to intellectually know the gospel. We must believe it in our hearts. And that reminder that many of us have heard so many times that many will miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance between the head and the heart. Many people intellectually know the gospel. They know what the Bible says. And yet they will not put their faith in God and in Christ. And God says to us clearly, then you will not enter into his rest and into his kingdom. He calls us not just to hear, but to believe. And then when we believe, the natural response to belief then is to trust and to obey. And we see this call as well. And yet this is where many people struggle. We really struggle with that, if you imagine that illustration I gave earlier, we, we, we really do show up and say we want to use our own instruments when it comes to God. God has said clearly to us, hey, here's the operation you need, here's the surgery you need, you, you need a new heart, and here's the word, the sword, this is what I'm going to use to give you a new heart, and yet in our rebellion, what do we say? Well, no, I think I know a better way. 
I've got some other tools. I've got this instrument of good works. I've got this tool over here of benevolence and giving. And I, I, I've got this one I found the other day. This is my, my baptism card when I was nine years old. Surely this is what will get me in. And we present to God all these other instruments and tools. But he has provided us the perfect tool, the perfect instrument through which we need to respond in belief and trust and obedience. And yet, our tendency, our sinful flesh so often does what? In response to the Word of God, we go back to the garden, and we join in the serpent's words to Eve. That Did God really say that? This is what it usually comes down to so often in our lack of trusting, our lack of obedience. I've had so many opportunities to talk to people throughout the years, and I was trying to think in preparation for this sermon today of, of an example I could share, and of course it's hard to share an example from a counseling appointment, and you start trying to figure out who it is I'm talking about, and so I've kind of merged these into one because I've had this conversation so often, unfortunately. And the conversation usually goes something like this, I'll have someone come to me, and they will lay out for me a problem they're having. A pastor, I'm really struggling with this, I really have a problem with this, Perhaps it's, it's a couple that's there together and, and they have an issue with one another or together they have an issue with someone else. And so usually it's, it's here's what the problem is. And, and by God's grace, many times as they are expressing that problem, I'm already considering and thinking about and, and the Spirit's prompting me towards places in the Word that deal, deal with this issue and this problem. And so as I pray for them and as I listen to them, I then seek to give counsel to them and I offer biblical counsel. And so I'll tell them, well, you know, I hear what you're saying and, and I'll be praying for you. But let me tell you, this, this is what God's word has to say about what you've shared. And sometimes those are hard words to offer. Sometimes those are words that require great repentance. And, and so often when I share that biblical word, that biblical counsel, read scripture, People might not come out and say it directly, but they kind of dance around this thought of, well, what else do you have to offer me? <laughs> or essentially what they say is, I don't think I want to do that. that. That seems a bit extreme. And, and they'll say it in many forms. Well, Pastor, you just don't understand my situation. I, I, just, I don't think that's very practical, reasonable. I can't afford to do what you're calling me to do. I don't really want to do that. This is what makes me happy. This is who I am. And in essence, what so often people are saying is, I'm going to use my own instruments to fix this problem. And we neglect the instrument that God has given us. We will only enter into God's rest through hearing His Word and believing His Word and trusting His Word, in obeying His Word. And if we refuse to do those things, we are as foolish as the patient who says to the surgeon, I'll just use my own tools. Why don't you do surgery only with this? Now God has given us the instrument. He has called us to use it. So why is it so special? What is so significant about this? Well, well the writer unpacks this for us now in verses 12 and 13. Beginning there in verse 12, point two in your notes, he, he reminds us that God's Word is living. 
It's living and active. It means that God's Word is not like any other word. God's Word lives and it acts and it's in use consistently. It's not some old, dead, boring Word from the past, but it's one that He has breathed life into and it continues to live and it offers life to us today. I've heard people say many times, well, I just wish I could hear God speak. I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would just tell me what to do. Pastor, if I could just hear God's voice. Here it is. You want to hear God's words? Read this out loud. (laughs) That this is God's word to us. The great reformer Martin Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak read Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word to us. and, And it calls us to believe and to re- uh, repent and to obey and to trust. And as we do those things, God is actively changing us through His Word because it is an active Word. So the man, the woman, the child who opens themselves up to the Word of God will find themselves transformed by the Word of God. And the Puritan Thomas Watson said it this way, by reading other books, the heart may be warmed, but by reading this book, it is transformed. And so the practical question for us, friends, is are we being transformed by the Word of God today? Can can you look back over the last week, the last month, and can you put your finger on something in your life where, yeah, I was going this way, this direction, but then I opened up God's Word, and oh, how God convicted me, and how I immediately had to change my direction. I had this conversation and I, I felt bad about it. I said the wrong thing. Then I opened up the Word of God and, and God just did a work in my heart and God is transforming me and God is changing me. Can you look back years and say, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like how I used to be. And can you look ahead and say, Lord, I pray that I'm even further along the road in the future. This is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And if there's no tangible fruit in our life, The fruit reveals the roots. It may be that we are not believing and trusting and obeying as much as we think we are. Because you see, this book has power. It's got power. This is what the God-breathed, Spirit-filled work just jumps off the pages. And God changes us through it. Do you know, do you realize, do you recognize what a powerful tool this is that God has given us? I was reminded of this uh, recently. I was reading an account by Ravi Zacharias. Some of you know that name. He's an author and speaker. Uh, Ravi's gone all over the world challenging people, debating the faith. And in his travels, he he came upon a trip years ago where he went to Lebanon. He was there in Lebanon, and, and, and there was an area of Lebanon in that nation that was under Syrian control, and, and he was with a pastor, and they were trying to bring Bibles into this area that was very unreached and unevangelized. And so Ravi and this pastor were in a van, and they were getting close to a security checkpoint. And, and Ravi wrote about how, how nervous, how anxious he was getting, how he was praying that God would just get them through this checkpoint. He realized that these Bibles would probably not be warmly received by these armed guards. And so as they got there to the checkpoint, he was so nervous, he got even more anxious, more nervous when their windows rolled down and the guards pointed weapons at them. 
and immediately demanded what to know what was in this van, what was, what was in the boxes. Robbie said he was trying to prayerfully consider the right response when the pastor beside him yelled out, Oh, nothing but boxes of dynamite. <laughs> As you can imagine, <laughs> his anxiety increased at that point. His eyes got big. The, the, the guard's eyes got even bigger. But then the pastor pulled two Bibles out of the boxes and put them into the hands of the soldiers and said, let me give you what's more powerful than dynamite. This is the living word of God and it will change your life. It has the power to transform. It has the power to save. Friends, do you believe that? That that's what God says of himself, of his word. This is a powerful word. Are you listening to it? Are you believing it? Are you trusting it? Are you obeying it? The writer goes on to say, point three, that God's word is piercing. Piercing. Verse 12, he says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. That this picture of the Word of God as a sword, it's a picture we have throughout the Scripture. It's the picture Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, where he's describing the Word of God. Paul writes, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He says, the Word is the sword. The sword is the Word. That's the picture we have of God's Word. We see this picture from the Apostle John who it writes about his vision of the exalted Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, where as he describes Jesus Christ our Lord, he says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That, that picture of the word proceeding, it is this weapon, it is this sword, and how is it then used? In Revelation, that's when we read about the churches and God's word to them, and so much of that word is a word of rebuke and a word that calls for repentance it's a word of encouragement and it's a word of judgment where does it come from it comes from this sword it comes from the word of god realize the the sword in our current situation isn't something we actively use a sword most of you probably don't own a sword, but in biblical times this was the primary weapon of the soldier this was the choice for self-defense, that this is what you had. You had the sword. And the sword had to be strong. It had to be a, a precise blade. It had to be sharp. It had to be excellent. You were trusting your life to this sword. That the soldier would fight and would win, survive the battle based on the strength of the sword. And so when you consider that context, you can see a bit clearer why God uses that so often as the picture of His Word. It's what we do battle with. I referred many times to Pilgrim's Progress, that great classic work by John Bunyan. And most of us, when we think of Pilgrim's Progress, though, we just think of part one, the, the, the Pilgrim's Journey Christian from the city of destruction to the celestial city. But there's a, a second part that Bunyan would go on to later write. And in part two of Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan describes... Uh, Christian's family, his wife and their children on their own pilgrimage. And on that pilgrimage, they are aided greatly by these sword-bearing warriors. 
One is named Mr. Greatheart. The other one is Mr. Valiant for Truth. And after one battle, they begin to compare swords and weapons and have a conversation about them. And one turns to the other and says, Ha, that's, that's a right Jerusalem blade you've got. The other says, yes, let a man have one of these blades with a hand to wield it and the skill to use it, and he may venture upon an angel with it. Its edges will never blunt. It will cut flesh and bones and soul and spirit and all. The picture is they will survive and they will be victorious based on the strength of the sword. And friends, the sword is what is key to us in the Christian life. God did not intend us to fight this battle with our hands or with an instrument of our own choosing or design. He has given us His Word, His sword, through which we will fight and win this battle. His sword, His Word is what saves us, it judges us, it gives us discernment, which leads us to point four. God's Word is discerning. In verse 12, He goes on to say, and that this word, this sword, it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That word discerning means it brings judgment to us. God's word to us is a word of judgment. It's a word of salvation and a word of judgment. And yet if we're honest, I think we, we, we accept the words of salvation much more than the words of judgment. In fact, just that term judgment, judging, we, we kind of recoil against that so often and yet we miss that in the scripture when the scripture speaks of salvation the scripture speaks of judgment probably one of the most oft-quoted passages related to salvation is john chapter 3 verse 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life we we know this passage we hear this passage we we see this as the word of salvation some people will refer to themselves, well, I'm, I'm just a John 3.16 Christian. I just, I just love that word about, you know, God loves us and God gave His Son for us. But do you realize as you continue in that passage, it, it speaks greatly not just of salvation, but of judgment. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God's Word, this, this sword, it, it is a message of salvation. But friends, it is also a message of judgment. And yet so often we don't want anything to do with judgment. I came across a post on social media a couple months ago. There was somebody new in the community and they were looking for a church and they specifically posted on social media they wanted recommendations for a judgment-free church. I read with great interest to see if anyone would put Bloomfield on there, and I was so proud that no one did. <laughs> I understand that there's a culture where people feel churches are judgmental in the sense of being hypocrites, that they're looking down on people, but 
But think about what we're saying when we say we want a judgment-free church. We want a church that preaches a word that never corrects, that never rebukes, that never calls out sin, that just comforts us and pats us on the back. And make no mistake about it, there are plenty of judgment-free churches out there. They're word-free churches. They're sword-free churches. We cannot have the word of God and not have judgment. We, we need judgment. We, we need to long for judgment. We need to come before the word of God and lay it open. And, and as it says in the word of itself, we need to see this mirror that exposes us that, that we might learn what it is to live and trust and grow in Christ. And yet so many of us, again, we, we don't want this instrument. We want to use one of our own making that offers no judgment. Friends, do you understand what God has given us? That this tool He's given us that just it cuts straight to the heart of the matter. It is discerning. God's Word is living and active. It, it does what only His Word can do, what nothing else can do. Why would we neglect such a resource God has given us? We need the Word of God in the church of Jesus Christ today so desperately. One of the things that so often churches are marked for is division and slander and gossip. And you know, God has given us a tool to deal with that. <laughs> it's not my opinion, it's not yours. It's not books on conflict resolution. It's not risk management experts. It's the Word of God. I had a situation years ago with someone who had slandered me this didn't happen here i've been slandered here but this isn't one that happened here this was one years before and and i've uh, done plenty of things wrong that people can rightly call me out on but this was a situation where i made a decision and someone didn't like it and so they they had lied about me they had slandered and we're spreading slander spreading gossip and it, and it had gotten back to me and so i was i was really fretting and trying to figure out what to do this was a person i considered to be a friend a fellow member in the body of Christ and I started thinking about all these different ways I could approach it and different arguments I could present before them and as I thought about those things I was just struck with the reminder that God's word is the sword God's word is what's living and active God's word is what changes hearts and so I set up a time to meet with this friend and as we sat down I didn't go into great detail I just said hey I've, I've heard some things I don't know if they're true or not but before we even talk about them I just want to ask you to read the scripture out loud for us both. That we might bring ourselves under it. That we might submit to its authority together as brothers in the faith. And, and I opened up Ephesians chapter 4. And I asked them to read these words beginning in verse 25. Therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander 
be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I was blessed to watch the Spirit work as my friend could not make it through that passage. He got a few verses in and he immediately broke down and he repented and he asked my forgiveness. And we were able to love one another and care for one another and be encouraged together in the Word together, not because of my argument or my words, but because of the power of the Word of God. And the reason... I was able to handle that situation like that was because someone had done that exact same thing with me years before when I needed to be confronted. That's the power of the Word. The Word is what cuts. The Word is what changes. Are you listening to it? Are you believing it? Are you trusting it? Are you obeying? Because ultimately, friend, we will all be held accountable to our response to the word. That brings us to our final point, point five. God holds us accountable for how we respond to his word. Verse 13, again, he says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And what we see here, God's word is, is living and active. It, it, it pierces. Nothing can escape it. Nothing's out of God's sight. He knows our intentions, our hearts, everything. His word pierces. The writer of Hebrew here compares God's word with God's eyes. That his word perceives and sees. It's what, the, what we read in Proverbs 15 verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. God's Word uncovers every heart, every act, every intention, every thought, every desire, and it brings it before that penetrating, penetrating gaze of God. The Lord says we will be accountable to His Word. Jesus says in John 12, 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So, so we can't be a judgment-free church if we have the word of God because the word is what speaks judgment. The word is what judges us. The word is the measure that we are kept accountable to. And if we reject Jesus' words, we will be judged by Him on the last day. We will be accountable. We will stand before God. And the good news of the Gospel is this. If we have repented of our sin and placed our trust in Jesus Christ, then He is our advocate. Then He stands in our place before God. He has washed us. He has cleansed us. And as we walk through the Christian life, we may have places we fall and we stumble and we sin. But what do we read in 1 John? We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who stands before God on our behalf. We can trust fully in Him and place our hope in Him. He is the Word. And we find our rest in God through Him. But if we refuse to accept this Word, if we hear it and don't believe it, if we don't trust it and obey it, then we will not enter into God's rest. The writer here gives us instruction and he gives us example and he reminds us. 
that there was a day years ago when an army of God's people gathered outside of the land of Canaan. And God told them, pick up your sword and conquer. But they did not believe and they did not trust and they laid their swords down. And they perished in the wilderness. Friends, don't do what they did. Don't put your sword down. Pick it up. Read it. Come under its authority. Find life in it and be transformed by it. It is living and it is active and it is God speaking to you and I today. Will you listen? Do not harden your hearts as they did in that day of rebellion. If you would stand together and pray with me for these very things. Father, we thank you that you have indeed given us this sword, this instrument. And yet, if we're honest, many of us have neglected it. I would imagine there's a few in here today who were scrambling this morning to find their Bible and find out where they left it last week or the week before or whenever they went to church last. They haven't opened it since. Some who perhaps haven't opened up a Bible in weeks or months. God, I pray that you might bring them to conviction and understanding that we don't get to choose our own instrument, that we will not enter your kingdom if we will not come under the authority of your word. For others, Lord, there may be people here who open up your word often and read it often. And yet, Lord, they they hear it, they listen, but they don't truly believe. They're not trusting you. That they're reading it and checking off a box. It makes them feel more spiritual. They, they feel like they've, they've achieved what they needed to do for that day, but there's no real transforming work because their heart is hardened to Your voice. And I pray You would soften their voice today. Lord, I pray we would be a people who would trust in You no matter what. That we wouldn't just be people who praise You when everything's going well, but we would praise You when the bottom falls out from under us, Lord, that we would trust in You no matter what, that we would be people of Your Word. We ask that You would do this work in us and among us, Lord. I I pray for any here who perhaps today for the first time has has heard the truth of Your Word, perhaps whose ears are being opened, their eyes are being opened to see, to hear the truth of Your Word, but they've yet to believe in their hearts that you raised Jesus from the dead. They've yet to confess Christ as Lord with their tongue. I pray today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would put their hope and trust in Jesus. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.